0: Welcome back to another episode of Fight in Progress, a podcast conversation about our men and women in law enforcement and the challenges they face, with lead stress coach and founder of Under the Shield Foundation, Susan Simmons, and Arizona police officer, Ace Walker. Thank you to UFIT MMA and Jiu-Jitsu for supporting this episode. Their info is in the description below. And now a message from our new sponsor, FHE Health.
1: This is Dr. Bo Nelson. I'm the Director of Clinical Services at FHE Health in Deerfield Beach, Florida. For over 20 years, FHE Health has been providing quality substance abuse and mental health services. An important part of our work is our Shatterproof program that works with first responders. We treat police, fire, EMS, military and corrections officers in an environment that is supportive of them. We have a staff of trained professionals who understand the issues that first responders go through. Some of our staff are former first responders. We also have an innovative neurotherapy program that actually gets to the root of the problems that are faced by our first responders. can include PTSD, depression, anxiety, and substance abuse disorders. At FHE Health, our Shatterproof program is designed to help the people who help others. We are committed to the first responder population, and we offer hope and healing.
2: Welcome back to Fight in Progress. And look who's with us today. My cohort in crime. I'm here. Is back. Chris is back. Finally couldn't let me be here unsupervised more than twice, could you? I think it's the other way around. What are you talking about? You're... I
0: can't be unsupervised.
2: That is true. You, yeah, you're you're not allowed to wander around at all. Chris is a dangerous person. Anyway, um, we're excited to have you back, and we have an interesting guest today, someone I've known for some time. We won't say how long, but Natalie is with us. She's a female law enforcement officer out of the great state of alabama and as some of us call it god's country i know our pastor thinks tennessee is god's country but he's wrong um but anyway natalie we're glad to have you with us and appreciate appreciate you being on the podcast so how are things in alabama right now
3: they're getting better now that the pollen has died down um just trying to get through the rest of these storms i think we've got a little bit more coming on wednesday and then hopefully it'll level out not tornadoes uh, no, they said slight chance, uh, but I think we should be all right. mostly just severe thunderstorms as
2: best I can understand it. Yeah, I just wanna thank y'all for that welcome a week and a half ago as I land <laughs> that was with impeccable timing. What six or six or eight tornadoes touching down right within what, probably ten miles of the airport, maybe? Well, Pretty I know close. there was
3: one about five miles, six miles from, from where we are, so Yeah.
2: So yeah, it that was not fun. And I know you're obsessed with tornadoes, yeah. Chris, but you would not have been happy.
0: I'm going to see one when I go to Alabama.
2: Yeah, right, whenever that happens. Come on. (laughs) Tell us about women in law enforcement. This is a a topic that I think a lot of people either misunderstand or don't recognize as being even an issue. And having done this, as long as I have, I can tell you, I've learned a lot about it and continue to learn more about it. Uh, How long have you been in law enforcement?
3: About seven and a half years at this point. Okay. So I still have a little bit longer to go in my career.
2: You going to make it? Um, I'm sorry? Are you going to make it?
3: I'm going to try. <laughs>
2: What's, is your goal 20 or 30?
3: No, I believe we're at a 25. So or one of 25. those.
2: Um, all right. So tell us how you got into this. What possessed you to do this? Because uh, I know there's some interesting stuff that went on there way back when I first met you.
3: Right. Yeah. Um. My father actually retired from law enforcement. He did some work with um, the DEA and did a lot of investigative work. And I remember I was infatuated as a kid. I mean, probably seven and eight years old at, you know, his crime scene photos, which most kids would not be looking at, but. On the other hand, I was. I believe, actually, I read a fourth-grade paper on methamphetamine. That went over well. <laughs> um, that <a> girl. <laughs> So I was very infatuated with uh, with law enforcement, with crime itself, and just the investigative process, which is really what drove me into this field. Uh, I like patrol, which is my current assignment right now. I enjoy that. I enjoy you know, the boots on the ground and stuff. But I tell you, investigations is really my passion and just being able to See something, and all the way through, you know, through trial and and everything, and just see everything come out and be resolved. And I guess that's one of the main frustrations, you know, between patrol and investigations, and just getting where I want to be in my career. And you know, I tell you, being a female is really, I guess, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time in this profession. And you know, one of the main things that I have noticed in my career is. I guess more so that the way that you are viewed as a female police officer, and it's not so much by the community, I've noticed, it's the way that you're, you're viewed by male officers in the department.
2: What do you um, mean and by I that?
3: mainly speak for mine.
2: Yeah, what do you mean by that?
3: Well it's it's not so much that some of the male officers don't see you as equal. Um, I think it's just sometimes, yeah, I'll use one officer for reference. There's been three different calls in the last, I don't know, probably four or five years that we've got out on and if I have been hands on with someone of any size or not, it's an automatic. The officer comes in, says, hey, step back. I've got this. And now, whereas most people and I do to an extent view that as just being a gentleman and that's just his nature. But at the same time, it ticks me off because I'm like hands on somebody. And uh, yeah, so that, that's one of the, the frustrations. And I don't necessarily know if it's a conscious behavior, I've addressed it a few times, but you know, it, it starts to make me think, well, in my view is the on the same level when I'm not on an aggressive call.
2: Right. Right.
3: And that and you know, and I've I think whenever it comes to you know, you can, I look at it this way, if anybody has any questions about paperwork, I'm the go to. <laughs> you know, and I'm I'm like, sure, put me in the office. I'll make you a sandwich.
2: I'm really kind of surprised knowing you like I do, that you didn't go hands-on with the officer who told you he had it.
3: <laughs> uh, Well, you know, I'm very good about, um, I've been hands-on several times, and I'm very good about knowing my strengths and weaknesses and, and realizing when if there is another officer there, male or otherwise, but most of the time male, that would have a better chance at taking on someone. I will step back and I've done it before. Um, We had an incident. I don't know, it's been probably a couple of months ago where several of us were trying to get one guy that was drunk, maybe high, I'm not sure, get him on the ground and more so it was more officers so really you're kind of working against each other
2: Mm -hmm.
3: we had one very large officer very strong officer come in and he came to my side and that was unintentional that's just where the opening was yeah and I stepped back and I said hey you've got a better shot at this and two other people stepped back that were both males because it made (coughs) more sense and it's recognizing the situation and you know size does matter in law enforcement Mm -hmm. however gender does not and that is you know one of the One of the main struggles that I have recognized and just that alone carries over to, in my mind, the physical standpoint of it carries over to the way that you're viewed on a mental health level as well. What do you mean? You know, like I was saying that, you know, some of the men in the department, like I said, I can only speak for my department. I could just imagine that it's in other departments as well. But, you know it's viewed as okay well you're a female so you know i can handle this better i've got more control i'm stronger and then you switch that to the mental health side women react to things differently right i'm one i typically I either am perfectly fine or i'm fighting mad there's really not an in-between um yeah and i remember i guess it was actually about this time last year i had gotten to a point in my personal life where i thought I need to take some time away because I knew I was not going to be in the mental capacity that I need to be to do my job. So I went in, said, hey, look, you know, I've got some stuff going on in my personal life. I need to take, let me take some time off. Let me get my stuff together so that way I can be fully prepared whenever I put on this uniform to do the job that you've hired me to do. Right. And at that point, it became a situation of, you're not fit for duty. And then, you know, the, the conversations that later followed that I heard about, you know, even up to four or five months afterwards, it was, you know, oh, well, she's taken off. So she's been upset because she she's just hormonal. She's mentally unstable.
2: And, and <laughs> have men in your department done the same thing but been treated differently? The
3: way that I have... What I have personally seen, I don't really want to speak to what I've heard, but things that I have personally seen, if a man walks in and asks for some time off because they're going through a divorce or their child's sick or something like that, it's, yeah, man, whatever you need, you know, let me know if there's anything I can do. My circumstance, it was, you're mentally unfit for duty, so we're going to consider you suicidal, and, you know let's let's take your gun and your badge because clearly you've got some hormones going on that we don't know what to do with so we're going to deem you as unfit for duty and you need to speak to someone despite the fact i said i'm speaking to someone already right you know and it's just and i see that whereas does the administration not view women's problems equal to men's we may handle them differently You know, I I I typically don't cry, but, you know, occasionally I'll get to that point where, hey, you know what, I'm so fighting mad, I want to cry. Yep. But just because a man doesn't cry doesn't mean that he's not feeling the same exact thing or worse than what I am.
2: Well, actually, I think it's probably more unhealthy that they don't have that release. And I don't know why it has to be perceived that everything with a woman is going to come down to being more negative than it would be in a man. Did you find that in from the time you were hired through the hiring process, your academy time, any of that, did you find that you were treated differently as a female?
3: Um, I didn't notice right off. I do remember that one of the guys in training at the time, whenever I was doing the in-house process, um and I'm sure it was a joke, but it didn't really dawn on me until a little bit later on in my career. He said, hey, there were a lot of qualified applicants. You were a statistical hire.
0: Oh, jeez. Uh, the same thing. <laughs>
3: and, and, you know, and it's so true because you look at promotions as well. And I would rather five men be promoted because they are more qualified than one female for a statistical hire.
2: Sure, absolutely.
3: But, you know, all depart- or I say all departments, I know our department and a lot of them in our county, they want female sergeants. It's hey, Natalie, why don't you put in for a promotion? I'm sure you'll get promoted because they need females. And, I, you know, my thought is, I mean, you don't really treat me as well if I need to be treated as an officer. Why would I want to be a supervisor, <laughs> you know? Um,
2: do you ever have male officers say things like that, that they recognize that it is a different position? Or, Chris, do you do you come across that? Do you ever talk to female officers and well, say?
0: In- I've known Natalie for a little while, and it's, I don't, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you are not under, you're you're under the understanding that you're a female in a predominantly male world, correct?
3: Absolutely. And so
0: I don't think any of the females that I work with or know from different agencies have this false way of thinking that it needs to become a, you know, 50-50 split, but- that doesn't negate the fact that they should be treated, you know, as equals. Sure. And there's just some jobs that our females do at work that males can't do. For for example, the, the female searches. I'm sure you have it Excellent. in Alabama, too. And what some of these guys don't understand, you call for this simple female search. Natalie has to stop what she's doing yep. in the middle of her reports, drive to whatever location, and then she gets there. I don't know this is true with her. I know it's true with some of the females I'm around. But then they're like, oh, never mind. Well, what do you mean, never mind? I just stopped everything that I'm doing. And they just don't have an understanding that, guys, you would be pissed Uh if it was the other way around. Is it
2: ever the other way around, though? Natalie, do you ever have to call for a male to come frisk a male?
3: If we have one on shift, which I cannot think of a time we have. Well, actually there has been one time on midnight shift that it was only female officers, which was probably one. Yes, Uh, there was at one point in time on midnight shift. We had five female officers. Wow, and that is no longer the case. I want to say we're down to three now, Um, but yeah, at one time we had five female officers and it was so unheard of, but it was I mean, we, worked, we weren't necessarily friends outside of the department, but we worked great together. Right. Um, but there was one time and I don't remember us having a, us have to search a male that night. Um, but no, I mean, we've never had to call a male over to search somebody majority of the time. And that, like I said, it goes back to, you can have three female officers on a call and there's going to be a male show up. I think, I don't know if it's that big brother thing. Even <laughs> if you've got it, they're gonna show up, which, you know what hey the more the merrier depending on the call sure sure. Um, but you know like I said if, if I've been out on something and if there is a mail available I'll call them but yeah that's one of the things is that if I need a mail and there's not one available for some reason mm-hmm. I'm expected to make the search and
2: yep. they're
3: saying depend on your body camera but a male under no circumstance Unless there is just not one in the entire county. And then they have to have two officers. Wow. A minimum of two officers because they want the body cam, the in-car cam, and then they want a witness. And it's, you know, okay, well, she might accuse me. And I'm sitting so there thinking, y'all don't care if I get accused. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I have noticed is the lack of support uh, between, you know, if you've got several alpha females, it is cutthroat worse than anything I've ever seen. <laughs> yep. Um and, you know, whenever we had the the five officers on midnight shift, we all worked well together. But, man, there were cliques and it was, you know, two people wanted to go to the same class or the same training. It was cutthroat. It was throwing them under the bus. I mean, it got to the point where some of them would quit being proactive because they didn't want to get out on something that somebody else would complain on and get them, you know, kicked out of a class or out of a school or something. But let me tell you, it is. It's just such a lack of support.
2: How many um, how many females did you have in your academy class?
3: Oh, uh, let's see. We had two out of my group, three, uh, four maybe, three or four. And was it? No, we, we had five, five total.
2: Was it real competitive in the academy class?
3: No, the academy wasn't, um, and I think it was because, with the exception of two of us, we all worked for different agencies.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So there was no, now, granted, we, myself included, were extremely critical. Um, you know, at the time, and I, whenever I say critical, it's, you know, golly, we're, you know, four of us are doing this, why and she, and a lot of that was the the physical fitness stuff like that. And, but yeah, you know, I think that's where I kind of learned. Well, man, I don't want to fall off into this. You know, it's hard enough to be a female in law enforcement. Why don't I try to be supportive of the other females, especially if they're struggling and stuff like that? You know, so I learned that early on in my career.
2: Was there a different standard for you to get into the academy? I know at one time Mm -hmm. there was some about upper body versus men and women.
3: No, it's all the same standard, uh, the same PT test, the same expectation. Um, And the way that they did it in our academy class was that whenever it came to improvement, it was not... The number of push ups you could do it was the percentage of improvement. So that kind of evened it out across the board. So that I thought that was very well. And I mean, even whenever we did a lot of CrossFit in the academy for PT and it was the same expectation for men and women. I mean, obviously the difference in weights and stuff like that, but no, we were cutting no slack when it came to physical fitness or to driving or firearms or anything for that matter.
2: Do you still hear, you know, when I started this a hundred years ago, and that is a tongue-in-cheek comment from the peanut gallery here in the room, um, I always heard around the Montgomery Police Department men talking about women in law enforcement and they either slept their way to the top or sued their way to the top. Is that still going on even now?
3: It it is. I was actually listening to a friend of mine who's a male officer at a different agency, we were actually talking about it the other day, and he was referencing a female officer that used to be at his agency, and he said, yeah, she slept her way to the top, and I yeah, I kind of had to stop there. I'm like, all right, we're really good friends. You don't think that I slept my way anywhere, so let's back things up, and it was, oh, yeah, she did. I know she had sex with this person, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, all right, what if someone was saying that about me? And it kind of put things in perspective, Sure. and it was, okay, well, yeah, I've heard people say that about you, and I'm like, where did I slip myself back to patrol? I mean, come on, who does that? Um, you know, and there, there is such, there's such a double standard, and one of which that, you know, I have learned the hard way um, is that for females in law enforcement, if you have any type of relationship with another female or another male officer, excuse me, you are automatically considered a whore if you have slept with one male officer you have slept with at least at least 15 of them and once you've slept with one if you even talk to another one you're sleeping with them yep and I mean I even had someone in my administration tell me I know that it's a double standard
2: but they don't do anything about it
3: absolutely not um no I was actually in a, a specialized assignment and I got into a relationship with someone else from a different agency and someone that it did not break any policy any protocol um, but bottom line was that they did not they said it was the optics of the relationship and I got pulled from my unit and put back on patrol and you know the funny thing is is I can't think of anybody in my administration with the exception of maybe one person who has not done the same thing and right. so whenever they did my IA investigation it was hey, look, I know that things have been handled like this differently in the past, but this is how we're going to handle them this time. And my question was, is it because I'm a female or is it because I just chose a really good candidate to have a relationship with? <laughs> and um, so, yeah, so I, I did. I got pulled, And,
2: and what was in fact, the response thought, to your question?
3: There was no response because it was recorded.
2: Of course.
3: <laughs> um, but, you know, and the, the funny thing is, is I don't know... That was the only IA that I have personally been involved with. I don't really know what all they asked, but I know I was asked three questions. Um, is it true? When did it start? And is it ongoing? Those were the three questions that were based on me getting pulled out of that specialized assignment, which is one that I didn't even ask to be in. I was asked to be. Right. The chief came to me and said, hey, I want you to put in for this assignment. I think you'd be great in it. Well, Okay sure chief you're the head coach i'm the player you tell me where you want me to be and i'll go there and i'll do the best i can mm-hmm. so post-divorce i got involved in a relationship and um, you know it wasn't extremely quiet by any means but it was not flaunted and as soon as uh, as soon as the administration found out about it it was it was instant you know we need to look into this we need to put a stop to this the optics of it look bad y'all are both in the same unit Although there's no chain of command issues or anything like that, but it was, it was the optics of it. And my question post-investigation after I got pulled was, if I was a man, would this have been handled any differently? Mm-hmm. And the only response I could get was, I don't know.
2: And it was two different agencies. We're not talking. I want to make sure that people listening understand. You worked for a different agency than this Correct. person you were involved with.
3: Yes, it's a uh, countywide task force, and so there's multiple agencies, and we had two, uh, I guess, specific divisions under one umbrella. I was in one division. He was in another. There was, uh, you know, we may have worked together on some stuff, but it was never – you know, he was not in my chain of command. He did not control my overtime. He did not control my call-outs unless it was like a murder or something like that. And then that's an all-hands-on-deck situation. So, both divisions come together.
2: Was there an IA so, done on him through his agency? Yes, for the same the, thing?
3: Yes, for the same exact thing. He also got pulled from the unit. Okay. Um, and that, I believe, well, from what I've been told, was at the request of my agency. Well, um,
2: yeah.
3: At least there's some common ground here. Yeah, we got to give them credit
2: for that. Okay.
0: Well, and it's funny is yes. all of us, every single person on this podcast today knows people from different agencies, oh. dozens and dozens and dozens, and we know many men that are sleeping around. We'll call it never. Let just like Natalie With multiple said, multiple people. Never once are they referred to as whores. No. And they quadruple, you know. Sure. They'll get you promoted in some places. Man, it's just, do you find that, and why I asked this question, there was a female officer that I know from a different agency and she made the comment, and this happened to be related to searches, and said, well, I'm going to drop everything that I'm doing because we need to serve the men. Are there females that you... (laughs) I like that look That's on your face. not anybody I know. Are there females that you know that hurt basically what you're trying to fight for?
3: Um, there is nobody at, that I know of at my agency that would ever drop what they were doing for just because they were trying to serve the men.
2: <laughs> Good um, to hear
3: that. Now, we, we would drop what we were doing to serve another officer regardless of gender. But I mean, it's you know, it's never at least anything I've experienced. It's never been like that. Um, I do know that you know, it's. I guess it's kind of funny that after my relationship, and I know a couple other female officers that have had other relationships. You know, it's funny how much your inbox starts blowing up with these people from other agencies and guys, and I'm sitting there thinking, you don't have a shot, you know? (laughs) There's there's no shot. I'm sorry, I have standards, Um, you know. But it's that just what tells you that this, this stuff runs rampant. I mean, I've heard about other females from so many different agencies and, you know, and I asked the question, I'm like, well, did you hear about this guy? It's like, yeah, I heard. What about it? Okay. So, so why, why does that matter so much? Right. Um, and to be told, you know, by people within our, our department, you know, of rank that, there is a double standard. One, I'm glad that they recognize it, but two, what are you doing about it?
2: Well tell to me, me this... you're
3: making an example of someone that doesn't necessarily need to be made an example of.
2: What does policy say specific to your department and is that do you find that to be pretty much the policy throughout most agencies in, in your state?
3: Um, I know that our policy says that you know it doesn't there's nothing against having a relationship with someone within your department
2: Okay.
3: Um, one both parties must be unmarried um, and then you cannot work for any even if you're married to them you cannot work for your spouse cannot okay. fall within their chain of command which I agree with completely sure there's other departments locally that you can be married to and work for your spouse wow and then there's agencies that you cannot be married to anyone in that agency under any circumstance whether it's a sworn officer and a civilian if you work for that agency you cannot be in relationships so really it's all over the place ours i feel like is more common but you know here's the thing whereas i didn't break those policies right they have this catch-all, which is conduct unbecoming. Yes. And that is what, you know, you can get that with, you can get anybody with anything
0: mm-hmm.
3: using that. And, you know, of course, I was told, look, this is not a catch-all. And I'm thinking, well, it kind of is. Sure it is. Because it's not that I've done anything against policy. It's that I've done something that you guys do not like. And so feelings in appearance run the department and not policy.
2: A post doesn't have anything at all regarding it. Do they? Not,
3: not that I've seen.
2: Um, I don't think we do out here either.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. What's the the policy at your agency? Same thing. Same
0: thing Natalie said. So
2: like, can a dispatcher be married to an officer and dispatch for their husband's shift or wife's shift?
3: Yeah. Well, I say mayor, I I don't believe there's any policy against it because ours is, um, you know, we could say I I could be married to a civilian employee that works within my agency Mm -hmm. and there wouldn't be an issue, uh, which I could also be married to another officer. Right. As long as there was no ranking issues or, you know, did not fall in the chain of command. Um, but you know, one thing about the, The task force that I, I did not know, maybe it was ignorance and on my part, but you know, the task force that I was in, it was worked out of a different agency. That's where all the different agencies worked out. of was one particular agency and you fell under their policy.
2: Okay.
3: And that, that was one of the things that got, you know, I said, well, I got a PGO for this unit. I read the PGO that that's not in there. That may be in their agency's PGO, but it was not in the task force PGO that I got. Right. And you know, so it was. Yes, there. I do believe there is a double standard. Mm-hmm. However, um, you know, I feel like the more that it gets admitted that there is, maybe we have a chance to change it. But ultimately, it's going to be a new way of thinking because you've still got a lot of people that's been in law enforcement for a while that once You know, once you have that mindset, it's not going to change. Sure. And so I'm, I'm hoping that maybe with a new generation of law enforcement that come in. We can start to change that, uh, but until you've personally experienced it, it's very unpleasant. So, you know, you get out, or I know me personally, if I get out on the call, my first thought is, golly, what have they heard? You know, what What do they think? What do they believe? It doesn't affect my ability to back them up or to help them, right? but it's still something that's in the back of your mind, and you wonder, will I ever get out of this, you know, out of this mindset to where I'm concerned about what other people think. I usually am not concerned um, as far as when people want to believe rumors and things like that, but you know, you hear it enough and it does start to affect you and, and make you think, man, is this ever going to change or is this how leasing is always going to be?
2: Sure. How have you seen Cause you've been on Chris a lot longer. You're an old man. Yep. You've been on a lot longer than Natalie has. So how have you seen women, being accepted in the field change.
0: Well, what's funny, it's exactly what Natalie said. It's, did they sleep the way to the top? Or are they trying to fill some quota for, you know, especially for the females getting promoted? Mm-hmm. And for all the females I know, and I can probably speak for Natalie too, she's not wanting anything extra. No. She's just wanting to be on a level playing field. And sure. that's what all the females want. You know, be accepted for your... I. You know, I know dozens and dozens of females and the females that I'm speaking of, they're some of the hardest working people at our department, men or women, you know, but... The majority
2: of females, and I've taught at some, all women in law enforcement conferences. I know there was one that um, a friend of a mutual friend of ours, FBI agent, got me involved in down in Miami. And then I've taught some up in Illinois. And now there's a group started out here. And, you know, I'm not going to say all, but I can't say all men I would want to come to my rescue either. There's some that if I call 911 and I find out that's who's coming, I just send them stay wherever they are. Um, But knowing Natalie like I do, if, if my son were in law enforcement, I sure as heck would want her backing him up. And I think that's what I'm finding the majority. Now, I cannot say that when I first started this. Cannot say that a lot of lawsuits of suing their way to the top. Truthfully, Um, especially at Montgomery back during that time. Um, But I think that women do feel like they have to perform at a higher standard and higher rate to prove themselves to the men. And absolutely. And it's interesting because y'all have some in some specialties very different gifts. I find in training hostage negotiators. I find women can be better negotiators and can relate in those situations to people um, certainly better than some men that I know. I also find women have their fine motor skills. Their hand-eye coordination for things like firearms can be better. And I don't think we acknowledge any of that, and I think we should.
0: It's funny, way back in 2004, the next shift, the night shift after me had two female officers that worked in my beat and an adjacent beat. We went to this call, and they arrested a rather large man in the backyard and were escorting him outside, one on each arm. So they passed me walking outside, and the guy made a comment, what, aren't you going to get involved with this? And I'm like, do you think I'm going to get in the way of that mom train? (laughs) They were both moms and I didn't have to do anything, but it's natural. And going back to what Natalie talked about first, I I think there is a little bit of the big brother aspect Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I don't even work with Natalie and I don't want to have her get hurt on a call, but the females that I know, there's two sides of it. Some of the females I know are exactly like Natalie to where they say they understand a mere size limitation Sure. and you have other females who are going to the hot call one of them i can think of was a stolen vehicle i didn't want to call for a backup because i didn't want to be looked at as as weak and i'm like you have three suspects that they've dispatched in the call that are at this stolen vehicle what do you mean you you've got to call sure so it's not only dealing with the female aspect of it you're also trying to combat the way of thinking that you think and know is happening in the way the male officers are talking about you and your ability to do the job. So it's it's this double-edged sword. Sure. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't.
2: And I wonder if it could be worse in the South because there's still that perception in the South by men of they've gotta be the, the man there for the woman. Do you think that's still pretty prevalent?
3: Yeah, I do. And it's like I said, I believe that at least that one officer because it's happened multiple times and his response is, I'm sorry, you know, we go to church together. I just, I can't help it. I don't think I jump in. It's not that I don't think that you're capable of doing your job. It's just that, you know, let let me handle that. And, And it's because he's a gentleman. Sure, I don't think it has anything to do with him, you know, questioning my ability Um, you know, but I I think on the last call, if I remember correctly, there was actually another female there. It was a recruit and yeah, she was still very new at the time and she just, you know, she kind of stood back and watched like, oh my gosh, really it was the first time she ever would have had to go hands on. And I asked her after the fact, I said, Hey, you know, why, why didn't you jump in? We had plenty of room for you and it Mm -hmm. was, oh, well, y'all look like you got it. (laughs) And so that, that was whenever I use that as, as a teaching moment. It was, you know, I understand it might have startled you a little bit. It's still new. You've kind of got to get your bearings. you got to see, you know, what things, if you jump in on them, is it going to make it better or is it going to make it worse? Because sometimes you get too many people involved and you're all fighting against each other. Yeah. And someone's going to end up hurt. And those are some also, or that, excuse me, that is also a couple of times that we've had those situations and we all discuss it afterwards and we learn from it. Do but you... one of the things that I had to talk to her about was, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, one of the things I talked to her about was know your limitations, but don't be afraid to go hands on because if someone calls for backup and you show up, they're going to think back to the time that you stood back and watched for whatever reason, whether it was because you didn't think you would be beneficial, but that is what they're going to think of and it was you have to try harder. You you have to you have to prove yourself. Yes. But you knew this was a man's world when you got into it, and you still went into it.
2: Sure, sure. Have you ever actually had somebody tell you that they thought they had to come because they didn't think you could handle it?
3: No, I haven't. Um, and I've never had anybody say that, and I've never had anybody question whenever they called for backup, and I was their backup. Mm-hmm. Good. So, you know, that that's a good thing. Um, I do think back to guy probably six years ago and uh me and another officer is actually no longer with us um or at least not with our department and he and i went hands-on with a guy that was on ah, lsd i believe and this guy took both of us bottom line um, and I think I ended up being lifted up, thrown against the wall, against a shadow box. There was a shadow box on the wall, and it was he and I against it. Now, you know, after we were done, we were all kind of assessing our injuries that were minor, but still. Sure. And I, you know, I said, man, I was like, sorry, I couldn't do more. He's like, Not just, I'm sorry, you didn't weigh enough. He's like, because he just chunked you up against that wall. And I said, well, um, you know, he said, I never questioned your ability. He said, y- you were here. I was good with it. Whenever he was throwing you, I was able to get my hands on him, so it worked out well. <laughs> you know, so um, yeah, I'm out there that, <laughs> that I, there's I had not been question I've never been told that my ability has ever been in question. Um, or what I'm capable of.
2: Well I know there's you know, a, I have, there's a female that Chris and I know who's she's also a former Marine that I would put up against any man truthfully. (laughs) And uh, her husband's also a law enforcement officer and and a Marine. And and, I mean, it just cracks me up because I can't imagine when she shows up on a scene. She's kind of short, but I don't think it would take long for people to figure out that she'll jump right in the middle of it too.
0: Lo and behold, that was one of the females in my story of the mom train. Of course it was. (laughs) Of course it was. Can you imagine the conversation as much as you know, Natalie, and what little bit I know, If a man came up to her and said, made a comment that he doesn't think that she's capable because she's a female, can you imagine how that conversation would would go?
2: Well, that's why I had to ask (laughs) if it had happened, because I can probably (laughs) recite how that would go. And it would not come (laughs) out well for the man. That's why I wondered if it had ever happened. (laughs) No,
3: it it may actually become physical, and I guess they could see my abilities.
2: (laughs) You're going to show them. (laughs)
3: Yeah, I probably would. But, you know, it's funny you mentioned the mom train. Um, I have been on a call one time where it was a, I want to say it was a teenager that we were out on. And he was just extreme. He wasn't aggressive, but just extremely disrespectful. And I got called for directly. It was, hey, can you come over here? And it was because I know how to talk to kids. My daughter may be young, but she talks to me like a grown woman. So I know exactly how to handle that and so so he just needed to be talked to like his mother would talk to him Mm -hmm. and you know that resolved everything so you know we have a lot of benefits in this too especially if you're a parent or you have younger siblings and one of the things I've noticed about a lot of the younger kids um is a lot of them don't want to disappoint their mother
2: right so
3: they will actually treat us better than some of the males because they'll they'll talk back whether it's a poor relationship with their dad or you know something like that but a lot of the kids they they respect their mothers Mm -hmm. so whenever us as females we get out there and we talk to them like they're our child because we have children and a lot of us do and you know we know the expectations of a parent and they see that what they're doing is disappointing us and they relate that to disappointing their moms or their grandmother or their sisters or their caregivers in general. And so there's a lot of times that the people we deal with do relate better to females.
2: Sure. Sure. You can deescalate it because of that role. Absolutely.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and a lot of times, even on um, sexual assault calls that we go on, mm-hmm. they, sometimes the females will talk to whoever shows up. Sometimes there is a female um, as long as we are not dispatched simply because we are females and it is the automatic assumption mm-hmm. that we're the only ones that know how to handle it because we are women as long as that is not the case I will go to any call that I am requested or if you know she says hey I would rather discuss this with a female perfectly fine um, and you know and those do happen quite often and the good thing is is at least in our county or at least with my agency, we have a lot of females and a lot of females who are good at interviewing and good at getting the information. So that does benefit us a lot of times. You know, like I said, if I'm requested, I'm going to go because that's someone that has a specific need for a female, and that I am perfectly fine with.
2: I was surprised when I moved to Arizona how many females are out here in law enforcement. It's it's a lot more than what I at least was in Alabama, that I knew of at the time when I moved out here. And honestly and truthfully, I can say that the majority of them that I've met are probably top-notch officers. Do y'all have peer support in your county?
3: Funny. Um, I don't know if it's funny. It may be sad. Within our department, um, we have a peer support group. I happen to be one of those people on there.
2: Now, that's Um, almost funny, but knowing you like I know you.
3: (laughs) Yeah, um, very true. It is, but, you know, the thing is, is there is one person on that list that I would ever call if I needed something at a pinch, because the rest of them are snitches. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And it's just, you know, looking at the list is funny. And it was generated. There was an email that went out and said, you know, hey, look, we need people from all different backgrounds and things like that. Let's, you know, we're going to put your phone numbers up and your names up and and all of these things. You know, if you need anything, call them. And I look at the list and I'm like, I wouldn't call probably a single person. I've called one person on there. And it's one person that I've called just like, hey, look, you want to go grab some ice cream? I just need to vent.
2: Sure.
3: You know, and we grabbed ice cream and it stayed there. That was it. I never heard about that conversation anywhere. It wasn't anything serious. It was just, hey, look, before I snap, let me just vent to you about what's going on with work. Man, we had that conversation and everything rocked on and never talked about it again. And it's great. Um,
2: So you're never approached after a particular kind of call by peer support to see if you need to talk.
3: Absolutely not. It is, it's really very unorganized. Um, and back a few years ago, I had actually given all of under the shields information to our administration, you know, and I said, Hey, look, I think this is a great thing. And I, you know, I explained why you don't need the peer support within your department. There's, you have no protection there because anybody can take that information and use it against you or even use it to judge how you're feeling and why you're feeling a certain way and your competency at work. Sure. And and it was just, it was not received well, and I think a lot of it is because <laughs> there has not been a very serious situation in at our within our department where Sorry. they've said if we had that, this would have happened so much differently. Now I know that we had a suicide. This has been several years ago, back before I started. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the officer was undergoing some uh, medical issues or had some issues with that maybe a I don't know some sort of illness right and ended up in suicide Mm -hmm. whether or not they would have ever reached out to someone whether or not it was had any direct relation with work I don't know but that's that's one of the things is that I feel like at least and this is not specific to women maybe I feel like it is to an extent just because I've been there but we all have lives outside of the police department right you know I being a police officer is what I do. It's not who I am. Sure. And so whenever I have things going on in my life, whereas it's, it's a divorce or, um, you know, child care issues or something like that. I feel like it's viewed as you're not capable of doing your job. A weakness. Right. Absolutely. And it's so, like I said, I don't think that's gender specific here. Um, But at the same time, there are things in our personal lives that like mine last year, whenever I flew out there to come see you, you know, just I had to get away. And I said, hey, look, you know, I need some time off because I'm going through things and I don't want to be in a, a mental state that doesn't make me unstable. It just makes me understand that I'm not going to be on my game at work and I'm not gonna do that to myself or anybody else that I work with because if I'm not a hundred percent sharp, somebody could get hurt and I'm not gonna let that happen. So whereas I recognize the state I was in and say, hey, I need some time, you know, I need let me deal with my personal life because ultimately my I mean, my family comes first. Sure. This department and the people that I work with in the community I serve are a very close second. Right. But you know, God gets my first priority And then it's my daughter. And then everything else falls in line after that.
2: Well, it's just interesting, though, because... And and that's one of the things that we probably need to talk about on podcasts more. That we need to figure out a way to change that state of mind within administrations and supervisors. Because I worked with all the major airlines after 9-11 with the Federal Flight Deck Officer Program. And one Mm -hmm. of the things I learned in the trainings I did for the Aviation Security Forum... Airline pilots can call in and say, uh, "Basically, I'm not fit to fly today," and it's not a black mark against them. Um, Mm -hmm. Nobody asks any questions. And you know, personally, as a consumer and someone who flies, I'm pretty fond of that concept. Um, But I think the same thing should apply here in law enforcement as well. And I, you know, it'd be interesting maybe to talk to the guys again in the airline industry and find out what it took to get it to that place. But to me, if I'm a chief or a sheriff, Lord help us all, but that would be fun. Um, My attitude would be, I've got to respect that person who will step up and say, I'm not in my best place to do my best job for you. Mm -hmm. You didn't ask for a month off, you asked for a few days to do what you need to do. And then you went back to work. Right.
0: Well, and let's, uh, there's a point I want to make here. Natalie, if you, if you don't mind when you went through that fit for duty, what you talked about in the beginning, what, right. what are some of the two or three of the symptoms you were dealing with? Was it sleep related? Was it eating? What kind of things um, were you dealing with, If you don't mind talking about it?
3: No, I don't mind. Um, I'll go with uh, all of the above plus about 10 other things It felt like I had just been switched to midnight shift. Um, I, hadn't been on, I had been on midnight shift for two weeks my entire career, and that was two weeks that I was in phases, so I had to do it. Um, other than that, I was on evening shift or day shift and then investigation, specialized assignment. Now, I was used to going a few days if we had hot you know, cases that came up where you were constantly grinding for a few days to get all the information you could, but yeah, you know, then you had time to go home and sleep. But it was the lack of sleep. I had a lot of issues with sleeping during the day um, before I got up with Susan and got her list of little cocktail to take. Um, You know, it was Z-Quil, NyQuil. I mean, it was anything. Let me tell you, those things made me feel drunk. And I mean, I had conversations I don't remember having, and I thought, man, there's no rest because obviously I thought I just slept for the last eight hours. My cell phone says otherwise. Um, You know, but I was not sleeping. So then whenever I wasn't sleeping, it was stressing me out. It was making me irritable, emotional. Um, the slightest little thing would set me off, which therefore threw off my eating habits. I mean, I would spend both of my off days in the bed and would never rest. Wouldn't bother getting up to eat. Wouldn't bother getting up to drink water. I wasn't taking care of myself. And primarily, you know, I mean, I had my stressors in my life. Like I said, I had just gone through a divorce and come out of a uh, specialized assignment and all that. So obviously, you know, those things bothered me, but then to be thrown on midnight shift with no idea how to cope with that. Um, you know, The, the sleep was just really, the sleep was probably the biggest thing and that exacerbated yep. every other symptom that I had.
0: That's funny because why I wanted to ask that question. So I know dozens of police officers to include myself, that had the same exact symptoms and yes. can probably say all above just like Natalie did. And are we all hormonal? Right. You know, she gets labeled as being hormonal, and oh, she's a woman, and oh, we need to take her gun and right. You know, get her right again. Um, there's guys dealing with this, and these are the guys that we know of. It's sure. not necessarily so. If you're hearing us, management. Well, I've always
2: said men are more hormonal than women. Y'all are hormonal 365 days a year. Women. But, you know,
3: one of the one of the things that I noticed was that whenever i tried to be honest, yes. you know, I, I probably hindsight should have kept this from my department. But because I called and said, hey, look, I'm going through some stuff. I need this time off. I tried to be honest about it. And man, did it backfire whenever you've got two people from admin show up at your front door and say, you have two options. You know, one, you're going to give us all of your stuff. Two, you're going to go with a family member. You're going to go to the hospital. I'm sitting here thinking, I don't remember telling you I was going to kill myself when I talked to you a little bit ago. And, you know, it was, yeah, I might have been emotional whenever I called and asked for some time off because it's like, hey, look, I've hit rock bottom. I I don't don't need to be at work. I have the mindset to realize that. How many people are out here at work that don't, that they – box everything up in their black box and it overflows and you know where does it come out does it come out on a call where someone's being a little bit aggressive and they get overly
2: physical yes you know
3: mine comes out whenever I'm at home and I'm sitting there thinking about going to work that night and man what if all this comes out at work that's not okay so here's here's some of the things I'm going through and this is what I need I don't have any family that lives really close by I'm like I need to get away for a few days I need to get my daughter. I need to spend some time with my family. I just need to get away from this, you know, from the city or whatnot. But let me tell you, whenever you're honest, it
2: backfires. And that's that's what has to change. Because really all you needed was to come out here, empty your garbage can, which we did, and then give you the tools that should have been given to you in the academy, that unfortunately most academies aren't teaching it, Um, in order to prepare you for this and, you know, you could have gone, Oh, I remember in the Academy, they said, can't sleep. Here's some things you can do. The all natural stuff Mm -hmm. that we teach, but it's like we throw y'all into this and don't prepare you for the garbage can getting full and what to do with it. And it's, you know, I had no concerns about you going back to work at all, but there was just this, they do jump to conclusions And I wondered if even things like where children are harmed, injured, die on calls, do they think you're more susceptible to that than a male would be? Which in reality is, it's really centered more around who has kids and what's going on in their personal lives, those kinds of things. It's not really a male-female issue, at least not that we have found it under the shield. And I, I think that's the kind of thing that we need to start to recognize with people and and say it's okay to ask for help but until we can get to that place mental wellness is going to continue to stay on the back burner and they can say all day long we want y'all to ask for help and things but until they stop overreacting to things people say that officers say um, we're not going to change anything which is really sad I had an officer today that called me this morning out of Alabama and He's about to go, they change shifts every three months, and he's about to Ooh. go to, yeah, they do 6A, 6P for three months, and then 6P, 6A for three months. And I'm thinking, my gosh, that's a, that is a, a recipe for disaster, and he's stressing oh, yeah. over going back to midnights now. So there's a lot, a lot we need to learn in, in this, and that's why I feel like it's important to have people like Natalie on here talk about it from a female perspective um, because you're not even halfway through your... Well, no, you're not even halfway through no. your career. You've got a long way to go, and we're struggling keeping people, and so that's really what we want this podcast to be all about is an opportunity for y'all to come on here and educate people Um, from your perspective because I I think this is one that is lacking and we haven't done as good a job on fighting progress about having women on here and it's something we're going to do more of well I
3: think whenever the administration you know administrations are really big on hey look if y'all need something tell us this is an open line of communication (laughs) those are words because let me tell you that is not an open line of communication because if you ask for anything it's you're needy or we can't do that budget doesn't allow for training and i'm sitting there thinking what about all this training we're wasting you know what about this hundred eighty thousand dollars we spent on ffo gear like really yeah i'm like let's let's look at the needs of the department you know that's what they say whenever they throw you on a shift well that's the needs of the department let's look at the needs of the department on a mental health level just because we may not deal with murders every day right you think that just the stress of the job and that the job puts on your personal life. Sure. You know, you if you make sure your people are okay, especially mentally, they're going to perform for you, and you're not going to have to micromanage. You're not going to have to worry about them. But until we start worrying and talking about the issue at hand, we're going to continue to have these problems, and that's going to be in Alabama and across the country.
2: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, as we wrap this up. There was no gender in that comment. There wasn't any gender in that comment. Huh. Imagine that. Yeah. But, you know, as we wrap this up, one of the things I would like for you to come back on, and maybe our producer can help us set up uh, multiple Zooms with women. One of the things I would like to talk about is the, it's a confusing role for a man who's not in law enforcement to be dating a female cop. Yeah.
3: That's, that's so. a whole I show in that. itself.
2: And that's something yes, I, I, I do want to talk about because I think it's, I think it's something that we, need need to address and
3: well hey i've got i've got a six-year marriage on that <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that's why i want you on the next podcast that we do when we talk hey, about I'm these here. things
0: wait had had, that's right. past had. Tense. absolutely yeah. okay
2: well the yes. the divorce <laughs> statistics don't i don't think change much for women and men we know this is no. an issue and and we have a theory on why that's going on but anyway um but I know you need to get to work and so does Chris. And so we just want to thank you for taking time out to be with us. And again, we want to, we hope you'll come back and do this again.
3: Oh, absolutely. Anytime.
2: Terrific. Well, we'll get that scheduled and we want to thank everybody for listening. We appreciate all of our listeners all over. And we want to say thank you for your service. Thank you for the sacrifices that you make. Thank your families for the sacrifices that you make. And God bless you and stay safe. We love you. We'll see you next episode.